Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, mental health, and wellness, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from your clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. This podcast episode is brought to you by UHSM HealthShare, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current health care, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.uhsm.com or call 1-800-900-8476. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. So glad you've decided to spend your time here with us today. Today we're having a really great conversation around how to support a family member or loved one impacted by mental illness. And today I have a good friend of mine, Mari D, who has really created a community around loved ones and caregivers of those living with a mental diagnosis alongside her own personal story. A while ago, we got to like catch up over coffee out here in Pasadena, California, and just talk about just that whole experience. And I thought, man, this would just be a great conversation to get out into the world and for more people to hear. So I thought it would be great to have her and she could share a little bit about her experience and the work that she's doing. So Hi, Mari. How are you doing? Good, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I just, gosh, you know, when we met up, we just got to develop such a bond uh, that I really, really appreciate. And I just admire your vulnerability in sharing your story with me. And yeah, I would love to open that conversation up here starting with, you know, maybe telling us a little bit more about yourself and what led to the work that you're doing today um, with Embracing the Unexpected, your blog and all these resources and things you're doing to just encourage loved ones who are supporting someone living with a diagnosis. I'd love to share that. Well, first of all, I started out as a CPA. And so I was used to one plus one equals two. And mental illness came into our family with loved ones and my world blew up. Nothing went in order anymore. It was like total chaos. And um, I left a career that I loved to care for a loved one that had mental illness. I actually have quite a few members that do, but um, one needed full-time care. And so right from the very beginning, as we were going through all this pain and we were searching for help, I mean, we this just blew our world up. We had no idea what mental illness. I honestly didn't even know if I believed that there was a thing such as mental illness. I wasn't sure it was real. I was one of those in the camps that said, you just got to try harder. Um, but I soon learned that that is not the truth. It is a real illness like any other illness. But when it first started, it was so painful and nobody around me understood it. 
And I started right from the beginning. My husband and I both said, we don't want this pain to go to waste. We didn't know how we would use it, but we knew that somehow we wanted whatever we went through to be able to help someone else. And as a result, too, in the things that we got involved with, there was always somebody ahead of us that would help us along the way. And it was so valuable. And so I just knew that I wanted to give back. Yeah, I love that so much. And I hope you guys are hearing this because what I'm finding about a lot of those who are in the mental health community, whether they're therapists, uh, supporters, peer supporters, lay people, um, what have you, um, are often there because of these personal experiences or because we've had someone who provided that safe or guiding space for us when we needed it most. And we didn't want that to go to waste and we wanted to be that for the next person. And so I just really appreciate the heart and the integrity of what you guys are doing. Um, I know that you mentioned like it was totally different than what you thought it was going to be. You know, I'm curious, like what are some, uh, like you said, you didn't even think that it was real, which <laughs> is, is, is a lot of people, you know, um, what were some things that like you learned through this experience? Maybe that, you didn't know or believe before, like what are the biggest takeaways about a mental health condition that really opened up your mind? One thing is I can't fix it. I'm mm. incapable of fixing it. And um, I can try, but it's not going to work. And another thing is since I don't have a mental illness, um, I had to learn that I really can't get it. I, I can't fully ever understand what it feels like to be depressed, what it feels like to have panic and anxiety. And when I could accept that I really don't know what it feels like, I came, I, I offered more to the person. I could offer more support because when I kept trying to like, we'll just do this, we'll just do that. Um, it didn't work. And not only that, it it made them, it made it them and me instead of us. And so all of a sudden it became us, us in this together, although I'm not fully in it because I'm not struggling with it. However, as a caregiver, of course you struggle too. I mean, as you know, mental illness impacts the entire family and all those around you. And so everybody hurts. And I think sometimes as a caregiver, you get lost in that. Um, you even lose yourself in it because you think, well, my problems aren't as bad as theirs or I'm not suffering as much as them. So for that matter, I don't I don't matter, which is so inaccurate. We matter and we have to take care of ourselves so we can provide care to those we love. Yeah, because burnout's big. <laughs> yes, yes. I think, yeah, at least experiencing it or having someone who you love experience really opens up Um maybe whatever preconceived notions you had about it from your own personal experience. And actually I want to like go into another direction. I mean, this is a faith and mental health podcast and you and I talked about this is even just the stigmas that we had attached to faith and, okay. and mental health and like, as if the two can't coexist or maybe you should just pray about it, or maybe you should just read these scriptures, you know, like, how has like reconciling with that, with your faith, these realizations with your faith, maybe even opened up your faith experience. 
Oh, my faith experience. I, you know, I was close to God before I started down this path, but boy, after going down this path, my faith with God became so close. Not that it doesn't go up and down because it does even to this day, but, um, because I think what it was is it was so beyond my capabilities. It was beyond me. I needed something else and it was God. I mean, God would help me take that next step or, um, or do that next thing that was hard. So we had to do a lot of hard, hard things and, um, and make, you know, very difficult decisions. And I'd have to rely on God to, um, you know, walk me through that and give me the strength and give me the stamina and, you know, get me through the pain of it all. So yes, my, my faith has been, we fortunately have not had that experience of, um, like people saying pray harder, or we were really, really fortunate, but I hear it over and over again in my ministry, uh, families that have been shunned by the church. Even when I would teach classes, um, family to family and uh, family connections, I would teach them within the church. And it was just opening that door back up to faith. Because a lot of them said, oh, well, my church said I couldn't come anymore, or my church said I needed to pray harder, or my church said it was sin. And um, I, I've been shocked by it because that wasn't our experience. But most um, that I come across, that is their experience. I'm right there with you. I, I actually haven't personally seen that directly in the church or in my experience, but there have been a lot of people who have told me that, you know, they were told their depression's a sin or their, you know, mental health condition is the manifestation of like demonization or whatever it is. And I'm just like, wow, like, you know, um, and, and on the flip side, it's encouraging to hear that that actually wasn't our experience because it also says that there are a lot of really healthy and supportive experiences. And if you are a part of that type of community, I think that what church can do really well is coming around people. Um, yeah. And so if they are met with this humility and compa- compassion um, and also have the the backbone of faith, that can just be a really beautiful thing in helping um, guide people or at least be there for people mm-hmm. through this process, um, which is why I have so much hope about the church and mental health conversation, because I'm always like, we're in such a great position, you know, to really be support, a sense of support and community, because even with therapy, it only goes so far. It only goes as far as the therapist's office, but we really, our lived support is really what makes up so much of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We need everything. It's not yeah. just one. You don't just need a therapist or medicine or, you know, you need everything. You need your church. You need your friends. You need, you know, you need support groups. So it's not one thing. Yeah, exactly. Or what we call like tool belts of tools in the care system, you know, Um, you know, and that being said, there might be some people who are listening who uh, have a loved one, whether it's a son, a daughter, a a spouse, who they're realizing maybe there's something else going on here. And maybe there is a mental health condition. And it's been really creating a lot of triggering situations in the home, or it's making things difficult, you know, um, you know, what advice would you give to someone whose loved one has just been given a diagnosis or that mental health condition is really coming to light and coming to coming to head? Um, you know, and what are some good first steps that they can do to support them better? Okay, so I'll probably give you a hundred steps. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to narrow it down. There are so many things you can do. Never think 
just, and even if your loved one isn't cooperative or doesn't believe they have a mental illness, it doesn't matter. You can do a lot. We can help make changes by changing ourselves. So my, I'm big, big, big on education and skills and, and faith and finding people around you that understand our friends are wonderful, but they don't get it. And, you know, they can sometimes offer you very poor advice. I mean, we've heard horrendous things. Um, and and sometimes, you know, what they just need to do is support you and love you, um, but not because they don't understand. They don't understand what you're dealing with. So I think you've got to educate yourself. I think you've got to start learning some skills, some things that you can do differently, because there's a lot that we as caregivers can do to help our loved ones. And sometimes they won't even um, they're not even in therapy. And what we do is going to make a difference because you're also modeling good skills and that helps. Yeah, absolutely. I know that, um, when it comes to like therapeutic interventions, a big part of a lot of these diagnoses is family interventions and family therapy, because we realize that, you know, what makes up their condition is not only the symptoms that they're experiencing, but also what their environment is like, what their home environment is like, how much support they're getting at home. And that can very exactly what you're saying very much include psychoeducation, not only for, you know, the individual who's experiencing the mental health condition, but also so the family understands like, what this looks like, what helps, you know, what triggers can look like, um, and different things like that. So I agree with you. I think the educational piece is extremely empowering because I think that's where we feel hopeless and powerless where it's like, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say, but really the more education that you have, especially on whatever that specific diagnosis is, the more you can like predict things that would happen, create a more helpful environment. Um, and also know that it's like, not just you, you know, right. and it's and that's a, just adding on to that. I think one of the things is you've got to get in, you've got to get some, some support from people that understand and yeah. are walking through some of some of the similar things. And as I say, like in our, uh, I've started two ministries, one at our church and then one online. And the one, the number one thing I hear is, wow, it was so nice to walk into a room and I didn't even have to explain. They got it. And, and that's so true. I mean, you can just say one little thing like, oh, my loved one was dangling the rope above and everybody goes, oh, I get it. Whereas, you know, maybe they were thinking of hanging themselves. Um, or, you know, something like that. So, I mean, it's just, but you don't have to go into all the details and your other friends look at you and like, well, what, what, you know, <laughs> what's the problem? I don't get it. So, and it's not their fault. They just don't understand. And so getting into a group, um, I mean, the groups are good for me and I've been doing this for a long time, but I get in there and it's like, somebody's a little bit further ahead of you and you go, wow, there's hope. There's hope for our situation. And then even uh, when somebody's a little behind you, you look and you think, look how far we've come. I was going to say we've made progress. Like, yes. And so they both help. I mean, and, and if you can give back to the people that are further behind you, that makes you feel better too. And it helps. We're helping. 
I love this. Okay. This is super practical. So one is to invest in some psychoeducation for okay. yourself and your loved one. And two is to get yourself involved in some type of support, um, maybe a support group of those who family members or loved ones who are also dealing with something similar. Um, I know right off the bat, like NAMI has some NAMI, they have like family to family support. Um, also, usually if you check in with a your ther their therapist or local therapist, they can also provide some support resources. But I love, Mari, that you've actually created some of these groups yourself. Um, so that's really, really cool, too, to know that, you know, these yeah. groups can be started, especially in church settings. I always, I also advocating that churches should consider if you are someone who's active in your church or part of your church or wants to get more involved or you're a pastor in your church or what have you. Um, yeah, just throwing it out there, consider, you know, having spaces of support. We have it for grief. We have it for like divorce. We have it for, you know, all these other, um, issues and, and things that people are struggling and suffering with in life. How yeah. about those who are living with a diagnosis or family members of those who are living with a diagnosis? And you'd be surprised how many of those are sitting right there around mm -hmm. you. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I always say you've got to have education. You got to do some psychoeducation. You got to find support and you got to learn some skills that are going to make a difference because yeah. there are skills we can do. Like validation is key. I mean, learning to validate. And I thought I was a great validator. <laughs> and come to find out, I have a lot of work to keep working on. I mean, you know, but validating, validating somebody's feelings, even when we don't understand them, is like huge. We all love it. And our loved ones need it. Their lives are hard and they need to be validated and seen for who they are. Yeah. Yeah. I love this too, because I think that we think, oh, it's the loved one with the issue or they're the one that's going through it. So they're the one that needs help. So as long as they're in therapy, we're good. But it's like, no, actually you might not realize it maybe because like you've been functioning this way for so long, or maybe you have a high tolerance or high capacity for stress that you don't realize that you're also carrying stuff or maybe there's some are some aspects of this that are also difficult for you and maybe there are experiences where in the back of your mind you feel very alone in going through this in your own life and so just to advocate and put out there that you are also a part of this and that you're going through this too just like you're saying and you also need and deserve that space and support is yes. I think, important to recognize. It's not an isolated issue, I should say, you know, everyone's yeah. together. And I think many, many, many people think it is an isolated issue. I mean, I'm amazed that when someone will share something in a group and then everybody will go, oh, I thought, I thought that was just in our family. So, so, I mean, it's so good. And the other thing is too, I think sometimes we talk and, and I hope this conversation doesn't sound like that. It's them and us. Right, and really right. It's we. Exactly. exactly us and we even though I don't have a mental illness I bring all kinds of crap into um into their world and and there's things I need to change I bring my own background I bring my own suffering I bring all of that and you know sometimes it's not a good mix and so we need to change some of that it's like you mentioned high capacity I'm high capacity I'm you know lots of energy well sometimes when I'm around my loved ones that can just drain them 
you know, and it's like, I just need to tone it down. Just, I mean, just a simple thing like that. Just tone it down a little. Don't ask a hundred questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't be, don't be even like my son and I can have like conversations that we just go, 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 go. And loved ones are like, wait a minute, what is going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm still back on your first conversation and we've moved on. And all that's done is isolate them and make them feel different and not be able to keep up. And so just learning little things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think on that note, you know, I think one of the things I want to ask you was in your experience, what have you learned to be things that maybe are not helpful to do or say, I think this is important because sometimes we think we're doing or saying the helpful thing, um, but it actually might not be helpful at all. Um, what has your experience been in these, in these situations? Okay. So there's probably lots of things. Um, the one that's coming to mind just right now is probably something I need to work on right now is doing too much for loved ones. Mm. What it does is it deems them fragile and incapable, and that's how they start feeling about themselves. So it's a fine line with how much help do you give and how much, you know, do you let them struggle? And I think probably one of the hardest parts for me was always trying to fix it. And I remember a therapist once said to me, Today, when you go out with her, just sit in the pain. Don't say a word. Just mm -hmm. sit with them in the pain. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> and, and it's hard, but I learned to do that because we can't fix their pain. We can't make it go away. And the things we say usually only are for our benefit to help us feel better. And it's not helping the situation. So, and I still struggle with that is learning to just sit in the pain. And, and learning to not try to fix everything and to kind of step back and it's okay. It's okay if our loved ones struggle a little bit. That's how we learn. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the big things that we try to advocate in the therapeutic process is like you're saying, like if you treat someone like they're fragile or like there's something to be fixed, like they can feel that. And I mean that you can feel that whether or not you're living with a mental diagnosis, you know, Absolutely. you, when you're treated that way, like you're something to be fixed. And I think that it's, it is really helpful to actually come from a place of their re resiliency and, mm -hmm. and trusting that, you know, they are, they are resilient. They do have these strengths, you know, um, they are human, just like the rest of us and, and allowing for that full capacity of who they are and seeing them from a perspective of resiliency and also all these other strengths that they have mm -hmm. um, and being able to take a step back. I know in the therapeutic process, like any, um, any intervention that's supposed to take place has to be collaborative. So it's never like you need to do this for your mental health or you need to do these things. You know, it, it's always collaborative of like, what do you think some good goals for yourself would be? Or does this sound like something you would want to try? Um, if not, it's totally fine. You know? So I like what you're capturing about it being more of a collaborative process and seeing them from a strengths-based perspective from a human first <laughs> perspective which I think is how we would all want to feel or be looked at or treated if we're going through something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, you, you hit on a really good point, Brittany is I think being inquisitive, 
asking more questions instead of trying to fix things. Cause I know my, my big one with my, one of my childs that has, um, she's an adult, but she has anxiety and panic and it's like, well, why don't you exercise? And that was always my line. Why don't you just exercise? And it was like, she finally said to me, you know, that is not helpful. That is yeah. not helpful at all. <laughs> you know, whereas maybe if I said, do you want to go for a walk with me? That might work. And usually it did. And usually it did help. But, you know, in your mind, you're the caregiver and you're sitting back here and you're thinking, I know it helps if they go for a walk. So why don't they just do it? <laughs> well, it, it doesn't work well that way. Right. You know, it doesn't work well, when we're always, again, trying to fix it, you know, but asking, being inquisitive, um, suggesting, hey, you want to go for a walk with me? And that they say, no, let it be things like that. That feels comforting just to hear. Um, first of all, I would love to go on a walk with you any day. Um, <laughs> I would love to go with you too, but not here. It's cold outside. <laughs> you can go here, California. It's, it's pretty nice sunny here right now. Um, but also, you know, curiosity is always, I feel like the safe position, you know, is approaching from curiosity. And it makes me even think that maybe when, you know, our loved ones aren't in maybe the height or the mix of the, the hardest part of their struggle, maybe while they're not having an episode, maybe when they're doing a little bit better or having better days, maybe that's a good opportunity to ask them what helps. Maybe Absolutely. that's a good time. And this is kind of maybe the approach of preventative care, um, which is like being, being more on the proactive rather than reactive side of asking, Hey, I'm, what helps you most in these situations or what are things that I can do to help or what are things that maybe I aren't helpful? Like you can be honest with me. Um, maybe not when they're in the height of it can help us look ahead into having that awareness for maybe when they do have these harder days. No, absolutely. My oldest daughter and I have done a couple of presentations together and we're very raw and honest. And she will say what didn't help and what did help. <laughs> um, and it, it's been good. It's good. But you're right. You have to have those conversations, not when it's bad. You have to have those conversations when it's good. And and then you can be honest. You can both accept it and receive it. Yeah. I like and hopefully make some changes. And, and, you know, there's some things that she did that were just mind boggling to me. And so, um, and you know, like we even like with panic and um, she has panic and anxiety. And what we do is we set a timer. And I know maybe that sounds mean, but I can only take so much of, I just feel horrible and the world's going to fall apart and, you know, all of that. And she'll go down that whole path and she does need to be heard. She needs someone to hear her and validate her, but I can't do that for 30 minutes. Because, after, you know, after 30 minutes, I'm tapped. And now I am saying, but that isn't true. But that isn't, you know, and that's not helpful. And we end up, we used to end up screaming at each other by the end of the thing. And, and we're both leaving tears. And we don't do that anymore. So we know we've kind of learned what each of our limits are in it. Because it's important. How can I help? But what are my limits too? Because they matter. And so I've kind of learned where I can keep going and where I can't. And I don't know that it's 10 minutes, but we did. I used to say, I will give you 10 minutes to just share everything you want to share. And, yeah. I will, and that was very helpful to her. I've totally, I've totally had the like worry time where it's like time your worry. Okay. You have this amount of time to worry. And then we have to like, let it go or move on or figure out some solutions forward, you know, because yes. sometimes you do need the validation. 
Yes. But that alone by itself isn't enough for, for either person. Um, and it can become exacerbating. So I think there is some validity to having a timed amount of worry. <laughs> um, yeah. And I love that you guys have gotten to a place where you have had open communication about this. I think that's what's so vital about what you guys experience has been growing forward that I really admire is that, you know, in a lot of households and even culturally, you know, maybe mental health issues or issues in general are swept under the rug. It's just not something that we talk about or not something that we want to face, or we don't want to maybe believe that, you know, our kid really is going through this or that this might be our life now, you know, and just really highlighting how disconnecting from those things and, or being in denial about those things or sweeping those things under the rug actually make it worse. And instead opening the door to these conversations like this can actually let some air in and get in some communication and get things on the same page and, and make life a little bit more, not perfect, but seamless for everyone. Mm -hmm. And depending on who's listening, maybe you're already at this place where you know what's going on and you figured out, but if you're in the beginnings of it, um, just really encouraging actually that leaning in more is going to be the way through. And, and I find there's a lot of loved ones that can't have these conversations and, and that's okay, but that's why you go to support because in those supports, you're going to hear these other conversations. You're going to hear what helped. Like if you came and you heard my daughter and I, you would hear what helped and maybe, maybe some of those things would help. Not necessarily because every situation is different and every person is different, but um, that's why it's so important that you are finding the support and the help around you because you know what? People get better with a family that's around them. They don't get better on their own usually. I'm not saying they can't, but you know, it takes support. It takes friends. It takes family. It takes everybody in it to help help a person overcome some of their struggles. Absolutely. Or maybe not even overcome them, but to manage them. Yeah. We, we talk about how recovery for many is a lifetime. Right. Well, especially if you're living with a diagnosis, this may be a lifetime of recovery, but the, the, the positive, the upside of it is that, you know, they can live a life that's functional there. It can lead to a life that is fulfilling and meaningful, um, with the right supports. People can do very well in their lives, um, whether it is they are staying compliant with their medication regimen, or they have the family support around them, or they're able to find some type of work or activity that gives meaning, like having all these things collectively can give people a meaningful and full life. Um, and I just want to encourage that because I think that when things look really bad, we think that this is the limit. Like this is what a person's life is, but maybe it's just that we're not far along down the path yet. We just mm -hmm. haven't figured out enough yet about what this is, or we just haven't found the right regimen just yet, or we're still trying to get into the groove of understanding each other and how to support each other. But what I love about your story and why I love you sharing is that there, there can be another side to this where it's not perfect, but it can't get better. And for, for everyone that's involved. 
Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, Brittany, too, because I'm sure that we have people that are listening that they've been in that better place and then it's gotten worse. Mm-hmm. That's normal too. It goes up and down. And I, one thing I learned this last year, I wouldn't say I learned it, but it it became clear again because I had two family members that were really struggling. And I remember one, it was the same story over and over and over again. I'm a failure. I, I haven't, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't listen to this anymore. But then I, I prayed and I said, God, give me the ability to just be present. I will say not one word. And um, because I was saying too much and it wasn't nothing I was saying was helping. And so I was saying, you're not a failure. That didn't help. They felt like a failure. So me telling them they're not a failure wasn't helping. And I remember so one night I remember in particular, I sat on the couch and I, I was just silent. And then this, my, my loved one talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. And then he said to me, thank you so much. You really helped. And I thought I did absolutely nothing. So we can't underestimate our presence just being there. I mean, think of the times when you've been hurting and someone just sat there with you. They didn't try to fix it. They didn't try to make it better. They just sat with you in your pain. And it really, it does help. So don't, I think even when you don't have the skills, you don't have the knowledge, just be there, just be there. And I love that you did mention that sometimes a part of recovery is that we go back a few stages sometimes, but I always love the quote, you know, but this time you're not starting from scratch. You're starting from experience, you know, and that's the advantage. Um, So, oh, thank you so much for this conversation and just the reality of it. I think sometimes that's just what we need to hear. Like just the reality of what it is like in itself is validating. Um, And that being said, you know, I know that you have a community and a blog and everything around embracing faith and mental illness. So I'm wondering if you can share with us how, you know, people can stay connected to you and the resources and all the work that you're doing. I'm sure I would love to. I'd be honored. So I have a website. It's called Embracing the Unexpected. And it's embracingtheunexpected.com. Or you can look it up under marid.com. Um, and on that, I do write. It is not all about mental health. However, I do have a special section for mental health. And I started an online ministry called Embracing Faith and Mental Illness. And it, right now, it is solely for caregivers. I hope to change that someday. Um, but right now, and it's that. And I offer four unique ways to connect. One is a monthly mental health newsletter that goes out. Another is our private Facebook group. And I got to tell you, this group is amazing. I, it's not about me. People will share in the prayer and the support and the love in that group. Every day I get on there and I'm just like, it makes me smile because it's like, wow, just wow. I mean, the people in it are unique and they're amazing people. Um, Then we do a real talk, real support, which is um, once a month. And really, it's just a time to come together and chat. And we usually do it surrounding a topic, but we don't have to stick to that topic. So it's not an education piece, but we usually will have a topic of interest. Um, And then I do quarterly Zoom presentations on something with psychoeducation and teaching skills is my big thing. And we do have a time of support in that. And all of that is accessible if you go to my website and you go to the Embracing Faith and Mental Health and it'll list out the four things and how to sign up or connect. 
Oh, thank you so much for the way that you are giving of your experience to others. And per usual, you guys, these conversations are just the tip of the iceberg of the work that is going on. And so definitely check out all of those resources. They're going to be linked in the show notes. Um, and all that being said, Mari, is there anything that you would just like any closing thoughts or anything that's coming to your heart that you would just like to leave uh, listeners with coming from everything that we've shared? I got to say this, the most important thing is putting your faith and putting your trust in God, because mm-hmm. this is impossible to do alone. It's really, really impossible. I have seen as I visited my my loved ones in residential treatment, I've seen parents that can't come anymore. Um, we can't do this alone. So to think that we can do it in our own strength, you're going to fail. So, um, you know, just, just trust in God. And the one thing I learned from my pastor at the very beginning is you've got to trust in God if healing comes, trust in God if death occurs, and trust in God if healing happens. I think I might have said that wrong. So. <laughs> You've got to trust in God, no matter what, and you got to choose it up front. So you choose, I'm going to trust in God, no matter what happens, if healing comes, if death occurs, or my loved one remains sick forever, I'm going to choose at the very beginning, because when you're in the heat of that, you can't choose to trust God. You want to just go back to, I already made that choice a long time ago. So I may not understand what's going on, but I'm going to trust God in this. And he will see you through it. He will. And there is hope. There's tremendous hope. I mean, there's progress made. I mean, we have come so far and we were told we would never get where we're at today. And Mm -hmm. so um, there is, don't ever give up on hope. We have a good God and he loves us. And he loves our loved ones more than we do. So, oh. and Brittany, I want to thank you. Thank you for all you do and bringing, um, you know, highlighting mental health. It really needs to happen. These need to be normal conversations among everyone. I, because you know what? Mental health is all around us. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is completely all around us. And I think people turn a blind eye, um, but it's there. And you could be part of the help. I mean, you could make someone's day better. Absolutely. I find that with everything that you just said, what I find, I know I'm sorry, I'm trying to, I'm trying to close out, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, so many good things. But yeah, like I find that people who have really gone through the trenches of, you know, whether it's mental health conditions or trauma or life situations or whatever tend to um, come around to a better sense of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, a lot of what I see happen in the faith community is this opposition of faith and acceptance, like mm-hmm. faith and acceptance can't exist at the same time or exist together. Because if you're accepting something, then does that mean you're losing faith? If you are accepting something, does that mean you're not trusting God for more? Right. And what I have found is that those who have had experiences like yourself, just these real life lived experiences do a really great job at integrating and having an integrative approach to faith where you can hold space. You can hold multiple things at the same time, which is what life is. It is nuanced. It's not black and white. And you can hold acceptance and faith that gets you through 
at the same time. And so I love that you're highlighting that these things can live together. And it doesn't mean that you have less faith or you've given up on God or you've given up on healing or whatever it is. Faith is actually saying, I accept and trust God with whatever this looks like. And we live and move and exist through him as Acts 17, 28 says, you know, through this whole experience. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is a healthy and whole and integrative approach that for somehow always comes back around in these conversations. And it's like, I know I'm like, I'm talking to the right folks, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I have to say acceptance is huge and it did not come easy to me to learn to just accept, but you know what? Once we accept, then the changes can happen. It's kind of like if it's too cold in the room and you sit here and you complain and you complain, and you never turn the thermostat, nothing changes. But the minute you say, yeah, it's cold in here. I think I'll close the thermostat. I mean, that's, you know, and it's the same thing with mental mental illness. It was hard to accept it was real. But once you accepted it, changes could happen. And I love what you said about holding two things. And I just want to say this is one lesson that I had to learn. We can have pain and we can have joy and they can coexist at the same time. And that was hard to learn. It was hard when my loved one was suffering so much that I could feel any joy. But you know what? We got to feel them both. We need them both. So, yeah, that is what it means to be human, to be a fully integrated human. And chances are, it's actually what makes us more mentally, emotionally, and spiritually mature. Yes. So I love this. Thank you so much. And thank thank you you for listening until next time.